Perfect me. My auntie chose to keep me, and this is what I've been told I should be grateful for. Her older sister ran away from the hospital the day I was born. Maggie, the only mother I have ever known, said no one in the subdued waiting room even tried to say, not I, when they told him how I was born and asked, who would take me home? Conceived in the evils of secrets. Maggie would say when I was younger with a wolfish bend in her voice. So much so that I'd imagine she combusted into flames. But as I grew up and she grew older, it was just she and I walking along in her underwhelming life. She would pull up my shoulders when I hunched as she combed my never-cut hair. She is my daughter, and she is far from evil. She would say to the principals who scheduled one-on-ones with us about the children who knew not what to do with a girl like me except start pranks that would always find their source in my hands or at my feet. The scissor I cut with, the flower all over my skirt, the thumbtacks under my chair. A disruption. And a trickster isn't written on my face, but somehow these eyes of mine have always made everyone feel uneasy, like I could do more than my limitations implied. My cousins say I have the eyes of a fay, bewitching but tricky and slimy with the slightest glimmer of self-serving intentions. A sight that you cannot trust despite the heart-shaped face. My name is Maisel, and there is no physician across the whole of any country who can amend the fact that all I see is black, so I've been told. Per the standard definition of human life, there is no hope, for I sense I am ultimately and perfectly blind. At times... In the dead of night when Maggie falls asleep at her crochet table, I lay in bed and hear such sultry whispers. They pull like a graveyard at midnight and hang nonsense questions in my head I can't even begin to fathom, like, where are the maddingly feet that can dance on this silver river? The solitary love of my life is a man who has an echoey voice similar to a gentle rumbling rainstorm. Across a narrow city street with crosswalks easing a non-existent crowd to cross to the other side. I can hear a penny drop from a block away just as much as I can hear the chukas and kittens climbing the oak outside my window. Yet, I can never find them? Call it a compensating gift if you must, but really it's an immeasurable frustration for me. I've tried to tell Maggie of all the magical sounds I hear to see if she would help make sense of them, but last time I mentioned them... Oh, especially him. She plucked me down on the couch before the fireplace, and not long after, 
An old man who kept touching his glasses by the sound of his sticky fingers leaving the edge of the lens, and swaying in a silken robe, boomed the pages of the Bible. No man, Maggie sobbed, afraid that one would steal me if the preacher stopped reading, and if she didn't smother me hard enough in her arms. Like one stole her sister and left subsequently after. He crept in without anyone knowing, made my blood mother disappear for nights at a time, and she was fine with this despite her screaming family until he didn't let her disappear with him any more. Or so I am told. Wherever he went, nobody knows. And he did not have a name besides Darling of Mine. Nobody knows what happened to her either after she pulled out the IVs in her arms and stepped out onto the tiny balcony the night I was born. Grandfather just found the Georgian windows wide open. I digress. Tonight, I've run away temporarily, leaving Maggie alone to slumber at the table where yet another skirt of mine waited for its final threads. It has been two months since the preacher last splashed sprinkles of holy water on me. And I have had enough of pretending I don't hear the voices and lullabies meant for me anymore. I wanted to be closer to them than listening at the edge of my open window, perhaps even find them for once. The air of cool quiet hangs heavy, and there is a mist suffocating the day's earlier rain. I hear them often, I do mischievous plots of let's shake the tree so that she but never hear their end game or over there caddy go on now you must phrases that make no sense as if they do not belong in my head as they phase in and out and yet so charming i cannot forget them but ever since i stepped outside at the devil's hour some thirty minutes ago when they satisfied my empty world like droplets of young rain calming a suffocating sandstorm, they went silent. I have taken at least a hundred steps to find them. I no longer know where I am, but I hear these thin lines of static where they should be as if I am close to the source, but yet so far. And they are sometimes muddled by the occasional distant car. I continue into what feels like normal forest dirt, with soft pine needles and risen roots, until it feels wrong. I smelt petrichor the moment I passed a tree whose leaves I have never traced before, but a raindrop went from the ground and up to the sky. It touched my finger as it did. I wasn't expecting a twist on physics. It is like a charge of electricity lit up the air as the world under my feet turns into slithery sand. Creaking old wood swirls around me and I run, run, run! But a wet thing wraps around my legs until it's got my knees locked and I'm a crumbling castle. My hands sink into the shifting, furious sands and touch... Bones? Skull? Teeth! Rib cages and whole dry dead cats. I reached down, screaming, crying, only to find roots. They pause. 
Then stop hurting me and let go as if I am an old friend. I am no longer a trespasser, unlike the life that once wrapped all the others before. These strange trees are all nothing like the ancient and harmless conifers wrapping around my home. I hear those lulling even in the winter when they're burdened and creaking with cold snow. These ones are crooked fingers and gasping spindles, utter silence in their hollow barks. They're brittle and horrible outside of the ones at the edge of their world that perhaps keep up appearances to those who can see. But I can feel their darkness. I hear the voices again like pops in the atmosphere and dragging through time like silk over velvet. I feel raindrops flutter from the sky this time, but nothing is wet. Those voices started as suddenly as flipping a radio on, the man's, so tall and gentle, and the hushed and haunting melodies of young women saying things I cannot understand. They phase in and out as if finding their place, but a sudden heat in my eyes makes my head throb until it's screaming. I am screaming. Something in the air shifts again, and... Red is a color Maggie never let me wear, even if I couldn't see it. She called it many things. The burning inside your throat when what you feel can no longer be compressed into words. Like eating a spoonful of cinnamon which plasters itself to your teeth, invading. And you flounder for anything to be free of its irritating presence. Like the coils deep in your belly that tighten with desire, with longing and distance and inexplicable loneliness and dissolve into poison, or drowning in wine, at the flimsiest of promises. Red is what happens when people punch each other through caps lock online and slam doors in each other's faces. Could it hurt you? Could it help you? It always leaves burns and cuts. Maggie says red is all-consuming violence at some frequency. It flaunts its presence like, your savior is here, but it is likely lying. I don't think I believe most of that, but it helps me to know. His hair is red. I can tell his blood and his voice, now that both are so close, are pure red. It is all he is outside of the shining white hand as he tips his hat and eyes too many colors to count beam at me. I see an obnoxious array of lights swirl behind him, so loud and terrible like lightning and thunder. But I can see this man from my whispery dreams. Peering through my small and frail eyes to him must be like staring at the sun. Oh! The fine maidens come at last, he cheers, and the chorus of fay laughs vibrate in my bones. Hello, he says softly, kneeling in front of me. My eyes feel like they are melting. He closes my eyes with two gentle fingers, each as he tells me to remember to breathe. It's a lot to take in, you see, one of the women say with a wink in her voice. They sound like a bird's feathers when they move, 
and when they start singing into the world, they are like saffron and chiffon in the calm of twilight. Hope you know how to dance, little one, mocks another. Take in, I say. Why, I've never seen a thing in my life. Dance? I grin past the pain in my head as I breathe in the sunshine weaved into the man's hands. Please, keep touching me, stranger. <laughs> I'll learn very quickly. The women explode into a horrible cackling mess. The man laughs, but only a little. I feel his hands tense. He takes his fingers off my eyes and I open them at his word. The world is a soft color now, like it's gathered and all that is left is small painter's strokes. I glance around for the fay, but they are the dandelions along the river's edge, quiet as they sway to the tender breeze. He twists some grass in his fingers while his jaw works. He looks like he wants to say something but holds it back. Are you shy now? I say. You're so soft and confident when you sing to me in the night. He smiles, but it doesn't glow in his eyes. I just worry. Worry? I scoff and rise to my feet. I make him stand as well. Do I make you happy, stranger? He nods. Of course, my dear. I've waited for you so long. Then let's dance near the river. Then we can talk for eons. I've never danced before, so of course I step more than a few times on his toes. The nerves in my belly soften as his arms pull me closer to his chest and I can feel the envious shudders from the dandelion fay. I'm breathing him and he is doing the same for me. I think I could never have seen a more lovely first face in my life. So I speak the thought as it passes my mind. Are you a prince, mister? He grins. Who do you think I am? I think you are one. He chuckles. Is that so? And who are you, then? I toss my hair over my shoulder all dramatic. I'm the princess you finally found. Why did you never come to me? Why did I have to come to you? He lets me twirl away, just holding his fingers between my own and one hand, and I circle back into his arms. Because I needed to make sure you wanted to come. As we circled the edge of the river and play, it shines in the corner of my eyes. I do a double take as I realize it is the Silver River the cryptic symbol I've heard of before. The closer he gets to it, the brighter he shines. Are you a god? I whisper, overcome. He looks at me funny. Why do you say that? You helped me see. I was born blind and you look like you'd be one. Then he stares at me, almost angry. My heart catches in my throat as he breaks our proximity. He walks to the edge of the Silver River in silence, but then he turns to me. Don't you remember your home, my love? Don't you remember us? The sky above sags as his eyes flood with a terribly lonely shine. You were not born blind. 
We live beyond the tiny tectonic plates of Earth, and you were so advanced you forgot how to see their lights and stars. He sinks at the edge of the river. I had not noticed until now that it was stuck in still life. I cannot keep our world alive much longer without you. Even the river dies. I feel the tears stir behind my eyes. I run to his side and hug him close. I don't understand a thing you just said, but what do you need me to do? How can I fix this? He holds my face like a gardener would a fine rose. I have never felt such perfect love before, even considering Maggie. Step onto the Silver River with me and we can save its heartbeat, he says. We will repair from here. I snatch his hands and pull him up. Yes, yes, I babble, my vision foggy. He gives me a moment to gather my composure as we both look down to the still river. I smile at him and I swear on my life I never want to see him any other way but smiling back as he does. He takes a step first and I follow. I expected we would splash into the water as we joined which was why I didn't keep a strong footing, but he keeps me from falling, since it's more like ice. We stay close for a little infinity as we float above the thin sheets, me holding his arm tight. Veins of light pulse from the edges of the river's walls like fingers reading our skins. Then the river's veins light him up, yet retreat from me. I glance at him, confused but in a blink the dandelion fae transform into claw creatures and fangs, cackling as they drag me down and invade me. They are sirens of terrible strength that sink their teeth into almost every inch of skin. I scream and scream for my love to help me while I still can, but he just stands over the surface with a look of unsurprised disappointment. I've made a mistake, he says softly. I thought you were my love, he sighs. This wasn't supposed to happen, but I promised them in case I was wrong, he says. He makes a face at the grotesque, devouring before he finally walks away to hunt another day. I know I'm dying as blackness worse than blindness takes over, but I can't help but remember Maggie sleeping alone in our little world near candlelight. She hated Ophelia. I've never missed her more. This has been another episode of the Love and Stories podcast. Merchandise is now available if you'd like to support it and our future short films, and the link to follow the shop is in the description. Season 2 is drawing to its near close as well, so if you'd like to bridge the gap before Season 3 begins, sign up as a monthly supporter for exclusive content. Thank you for listening, and remember to follow wherever you're listening.